Well, hello, you beautiful people. I am Gary Horn, and this, this is the NWA, a podcast celebrating the past, the present, the future, the history, legacy, and tradition, the whole shebang about one of the greatest pro wrestling entities of all time. And you know I'm talking about the National Wrestling Alliance. And well, it's hard to top an interview with someone like Nick Aldis or Adam Rotella, but I think I did okay this week. We have got you an interview with the wonderful, incomparable Bruce Mitchell. Bruce is a senior columnist over at the Pro Wrestling Torch and has been, I think he says, for 30 years. I am a subscriber to the Pro Wrestling Torch, an excellent source of information as far as the wrestling business behind the scenes and otherwise recaps on everything that you could ever want and as far as podcasts go just a plethora of information and knowledge flowing through there weekly it is amazing how much wade keller and his crew gets done over on that site so if i could do anything for them at all i would just tell you pwtorch.com slash go vip an excellent resource can't recommend it enough. Like I said, I subscribe to it just because uh, it helps me with some of the research I do for these shows. That out of the way, uh, I just wanted to thank all of you people for listening. As always, it's wonderful the interaction we get to have on social media and such. And that's at the NWA Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. Bruce is coming on today to talk to us about studio wrestling. I meant to have this podcast up like a day ago, but you know what? I have a whole other life too besides this and I got a little off track but I'm back and I'm going to get this up early enough I think that as I'm recording this Tuesday October the 8th 6:05 p.m. the NWA debuts NWA Power that's 3 hours I was able to attend everything this past week, all of the television tapings for the next, I believe, eight or nine shows that they're going to have. It's exciting stuff. Uh, Some good, good interviews, wrestling. I think people are going to really dig this, and a callback to studio wrestling was quite fun. A completely different experience from anything that I've ever been a part of as far as wrestling goes, and I was interested to know how it compared to studio wrestling from the past, what pros and cons there are to studio wrestling, what was the purpose of studio wrestling, and the only man that I knew, like if I could get you the top source to tell you a little bit about that, well it was going to be Bruce Mitchell, and Bruce was kind enough to lend us some time here. There's so much we didn't even get to get to with Bruce, but I think we had a good enough time that he's going to come back someday. Uh, You'll hear him mention things like Black Saturday. We kind of gloss over that. I'd love to talk to him more about those situations. And um, Bruce is just like I've mentioned with, uh, say, a guy we mentioned in this podcast a lot, Jim Cornette. Uh, Both these men have forgotten more than I'll ever be able to know about wrestling in general and especially the National Wrestling Alliance. But you can bet your butt I am going to try to mine the depths of these brains as much as I can to make sure that we all have access to all of that information as much as we can. All right, I'm not going to hold you up anymore. You know what this is about. We're talking about studio wrestling today, and here he is, Mr. Bruce Mitchell. go 
go ahead and, and get rolling. Everybody knows I am Gary Horn. I am here with Bruce Mitchell. Bruce Mitchell is a journalist, a wrestling historian, I guess you'd call you. What What do you call yourself, Bruce? Senior columnist. I've been the senior columnist at Pro Wrestling Torch for 30 years. And um, I, I think of myself as a wrestling writer and a, a podcaster and, and, and a student of wrestling. The historian part is, is true now because of my age. I mean, just because I've... I've followed this stuff, and I'm interested in the history of wrestling, you know, myself. And so um, there are people that look to me that as a historian. I don't know if I am, but I definitely know that every time I learn something about wrestling, I need to learn more, uh, or I want more. And um, when I think I understand something, there's another level to it. So that's that's been. Um, it's really cool that way. And I think it's just this, that wrestling, you know, in 2019 and then throughout its history is really colorful, really momentous and um, just, you know, fascinating. And and so I, I'm as, I like the color of a hundred years ago and I like the color of, of right now. That's great. I um, It's actually a big honor for me to have you on. I've been a subscriber to The Torch for a while now. And I knew that, especially hearing the Bruce Mitchell audio show, which is, uh, I think we, we've discovered is the longest running podcast about anything aside from some like electronic show, if I remember you guys correctly. I, one thing that you have a strong expert opinion and historical knowledge of is the National Wrestling Alliance. And this coming Tuesday, October 8th at 6.05 p.m., the NWA is reintroducing studio wrestling to the world with its new show, NWA Power. Anyway, it's going to be on YouTube and Facebook Live, and I think on Tuesdays at 6.05, it's going to premiere on Fight TV also. For right now, that's how you're going to be able to get it. The whole world really has access to it. And Bruce, I wanted to get you on because... Billy Corgan and David Lagana, they've, they've chosen to go this route because studio wrestling is something from the history of pro wrestling and something that the NWA was famous for back in the day. But a lot of people now may not be familiar with, with studio wrestling and what that entails or what that means for wrestling. But uh, as far as I can see, it's a, it's a totally different approach to wrestling. So I was hoping you would be able to help us out and help us dig a little bit and understand what we're likely getting into here. So I, I guess I'll just start you off this way is that from my understanding, there was actually uh, studio wrestling. Like when you try to look it up and this is just my research, but uh, it kind of started maybe in, in Pennsylvania and like the Pittsburgh area with like, uh, I, I see names like Toots Mutt and Jim Barnett, Lance Russell, these guys attached to it. Yeah, let me let me let me do that part if, for you. Um, you know, professional wrestling um, when television came along, particularly in the 1950s, and, and people started not like it is not like today, but people started buying televisions, and television started replacing radio as the main um, source of entertainment day to day for families, and and so it went from the challenge of recording audio to recording video, you know, to record. To recording um, things that you could see, and so what got figured out pretty quickly was that live sports 
worked well on television and that professional wrestling worked well on television that you could go to an arena, not into a TV studio, but to an arena. And these are the national networks and that boxing and wrestling worked well because it didn't cost that much with the nascent technology to record these shows live and to put them out on the air. Um, all you need, you know, you needed the ring, you needed the arena, you needed the audio, and then you needed one or two camera setup. That's all you needed. And you could show the these contests with these um, larger-than-life characters and do well. And in fact, and this is kind of interesting to be doing this today, one of the things that, that happened was wrestling was a staple. Professional wrestling was a staple of television when television first took off in the 1950s on the Dumont Network and the, the, the top wrestlers in the world, the top wrestlers in the country were seen all over the country, Vern Gagne and Luthes and uh, Buddy Rogers and, and these people and the Florida, not Florida, the um, Chicago promotions and New York promotions and all that with Tuzmont and, and Fred Kohler and all that. And then it was oversaturated. There was too much professional wrestling. There was too much boxing too. And it, um, it collapsed. And so you still had promoters around the country who were promoting wrestling shows, but they couldn't promote off this national television because those shows didn't exist anymore. And they, they figured out that they could go to their local television stations that ha usually had a news um, department, usually had a, you know, had a six o'clock local TV news station. If you were any type of, of TV station, and this is in the days when they were, Maybe three stations, and I'm, I'm old enough that I remember this, like three, three and a half stations in a community, and those stations were really big. They were part of the community. Everybody knew who the Anchorman was. Have you seen Anchorman? Right. Um, that, that was very much, I mean, it's a parody of it, but it's very much how it was. And as far as how big those personalities were in their communities. And so the wrestling promoters and television stations figured out that in the same place that they taped the local cooking show and the local kids TV show that ran every day, live every day, that they could also set that up as a small place to have wrestling. They could have a studio show, have a small audience, maybe a hundred people. They could put a ring and have a place to have the matches. And then they could interview the wrestlers and have it be an hour long. The, the station that would be the central place for it, they might show the show live. And this was happening in, in different areas all across the country because the promoters would share information and they would go, you know, I've got this, I've got this show and it would be an hour long commercial for the arena show. And the arena would be where the major star would face the other major star and the TV studio show would be where the major star would face someone who was not major to show you that he was a major star. And then he would come out and, and do a promo about this great match that he was going to, this big important match that he was going to have Friday night at your local arena. And look how easy it is to buy tickets to get to see this and you know as great as it is to watch on television to go live to the arena and see me beat the crap out of this guy who stabbed me in the back two weeks ago on television um is going to be such a momentous occasion and it's only two dollars and and the television stations would get a show that they could put on anytime they wanted to they could put it on 11 30 Saturday night or Friday night, they could put usually Saturday night. They could put it on at any point during the weekend where they needed, the, where they weren't provided with network television fare, and they were showing old movies, they were showing crap, you know, not that much. They could put on new 
material of wrestling and then um, get a nice rating for it. And they would try. And so the, um, and so the television stations wouldn't pay, wouldn't have to, wouldn't pay the wrestling company. Um, they would get this free television show that they could sell some ads for and that they would get a nice rating to help themselves with because people were devoted to them if they were good, if they were well done wrestling shows. And then the wrestling show wouldn't have to buy advertisement. They would trade this content for some specific advertisement during the show. And that was the way wrestling was um, promoted in many areas in the country. It was in, in, in the AWA in Minneapolis with Vern Gagne. And, um, you know, they did television wrestling and then they would talk about tonight you know, Sunday night, and then in Memphis, in the Carolinas, at WRL and WGHP, they would do that. And they wouldn't show very much arena stuff. Every once in a while they show it. Now, um, the New York market, Tootsmont, and Vincent Mann's father, Vincent um, J. McMahon, would tape their wrestling in Washington, D.C., and it was in an arena. And so it wasn't so much, but it still, you didn't get to see main events very much. If you saw a main event, it was usually angle driven to get you to come to this big um, show that they were that they were doing. It would just feature the wrestlers, and then they didn't even pay the wrestlers a lot of times. If it was, you know, in Georgia and in Memphis and some places, they taped on Saturday on Saturday, and then the wrestlers they would pay the the wrestlers who lost, but they wouldn't pay the wrestlers who won. They would go on tour for the rest of the week based off that television and the television would tell the stories of the storylines in the style that that local market wanted or, or had been trained to get. And so you might watch a Pensacola wrestling television studio show and it might look different from a Memphis um, television wrestling studio show, which might look different from a Minneapolis show. And it depended on what, and then wrestlers could, um, and then wrestlers could leave an area that they had made major money in, but they got you'd seen them too often. You know, you think about the wrestlers we watch now that have been around seven or eight years. You might see a wrestler for six months and then he'd move to another area so that he wouldn't get stale. And there would be, and you might also see like some wrestlers that would do what was called homesteading in these in, in these studio shows and promotion, where they stayed forever because this was their home. And part of them being um, a hero was they were part of the community. Like the TV anchorman was part of the community. It was like your next door neighbor, but he was one of the top wrestlers in the world too. And you rooted for him, and you paid to go see him. So, so that, at this time there was. I mean, like pay-per-views and those kind of things. That, that I mean, they did not exist. You, the money was in getting people to um, go to the to the local arena, whatever. You're in Greenville, yeah. So Greenville Auditorium, they would do, they would show a show that um, they would show a studio show that may have been taped at um, WRAL in Raleigh, and then it was modified for the Greenville market with commercials for the Greenville market because Greenville might be running Friday night. Um, this show and these are the matches on the show and they would have the wrestlers talk about each other in two minute stretches and then they would show the the rest of the hour-long show would be the same as the show that was shown in Raleigh for the Dorton Arena and it would have the same angles but then they would do specific commercials for that house show and it wasn't until the 80s that the technology existed for closed circuit for um, which was just come to this arena 
and we'll show you this show that's at another arena on a TV on a movie screen. And then in the eighties, it was um, you know we'll show it to you. You have to pay us for every view of this specific show. But the arena business was the business until the 1980s, uh, the major business for wrestling promotions, much more than anything else. They, want, they might sell programs and they might sell photos and maybe some of them had T-shirts, but um, a little bit of merchandising and some no merchandising and then a lot. But fans got used to going to arenas and there were some um, arenas where that would sell season tickets and stuff, but they sell them they would sell reserve seats. And if you were in, you might have the same reserve seat for 20 years. So, so this is basically, I mean, it, during this time, this is the only time these folks might have a chance to see these big matches or these big stars. It's not like tapes were floating around constantly or, you know, no, all of that, all of that, that was, there was an underground, um, there was an underground fan base that traded results through newsletters, but it was a very small part of that, and you might be—you were always taught you were watching a wrestling show. Those two, those TV studio shows, told you they might say we're part of the NWA. You know, we're we're sanctioned by the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, and then a promotion in the area next to your area might be might have that. And it was like the mafia in that um, these promoters worked together. They didn't own each other. They weren't part of the same business, and they had different promotional philosophies but they protected each other's territory if i decided to run a wrestling show in greenville north carolina in 1965 which would have been interesting because i'm like five years old but um if i decided (laughs) to do that and i had no association with crockett promotions and the nwa um the nwa and crockett promotions would try to keep me out of that area by fair means legal means and not so legal means and fans would watch my television show if I could even get on get a te- show on TV, and they would go, "How come he doesn't say he's part of the NWA?" Like the shows I've been watching for um, twenty years from the Crockett's, they say they're part of the NWA, and I don't know who these wrestlers are, and I wouldn't be able to call up um, Johnny Weaver and George Becker. Um, in 1965, the top stars in, in Jim Crockett Promotions and part of the NWA, I wouldn't be able to call them up and say, you've got a date, you know, this Thursday I'm running this show and I'll pay you five times as much money as Crockett's going to pay you to come to my arena and work this show. They wouldn't be able to do that because the word would not only get out in Crockett Promotions that they were that they were working for their competition, they would get out all over wrestling because the promoters talk to each other and they could be blackballed. They could be um, denied working for somebody. And also all I has as a five-year-old promoter is that one show to offer them five times as much money where the local promoter ran a schedule of shows all over this area that he promoted. And he ran them every week, week to week. And if you, you know, in Greenville, you could go to a local show every two weeks, every two weeks. And it would change. And it was like watching, you know, that show that you watched would have main events that told the, the real story of what you were seeing more than even the studio show. The studio show was like an advertisement to get you to go to see the real story at the arena to see the wrestlers wrestle each other. And it was um, similar to, you know, an infomercial in certain ways. And it also reflected what the promoters thought would sell the most. So, where you are and where I was back in, in those studio television days, they showed mostly star wrestlers 
versus unknown wrestlers, and you knew the star wrestler was going to win. But they would talk about the, the announcers during that match would talk about whatever the star wrestler was involved in, whatever um, the Mid Atlantic Championship that he was chasing or whatever grudge match he was in. Um, and then they'd go to the arena. But if you were watching a studio show from the Irish McNeil Boys Club for um, Bill Watts and Mid South Wrestling, you would see more of the story on television. You see more episodic, like we see now more of the story be told on the television show. It was a more compelling TV show. But if you you wouldn't have the chance to compare them. Nobody was not very many wrestling fans were trading tapes. And even before that, before VCR technology existed, there wasn't anything. And you know, I lived as part of this where I had my black and white television with WQDR rock and roll station a bumper sticker attached to it. And it had um, rabbit ears and at 11.30 on Saturday night before I'd go to the bar, or maybe I wouldn't go to the bar, and I would, um, I would watch wrestling, and I would use the um, – and it was broadcast over the air, so I would, I would watch Channel 5. I would try to get Channel 8 out of Greensboro, and um, I even got a Virginia station, and I would, use my, um, I would use my rabbit ears to get a better reception to watch these shows. And if I um, – did something else instead of that. If I fell asleep, or if I went to a, you know, went to a concert, or whatever else I was doing as, you know, a young teenager or as a, a young twenties, um, and I missed that show. I missed the show. I didn't see it. I didn't have a VCR. And then in the '50s, '60s, and '70s for these studio shows, people didn't expect. You didn't record television. I mean, there were people that actually took a tape recorder and put it up their television. I did this and to try to collect wrestling shows to just to collect the audio and just to collect the promos and studio shows, their ratings were based on seeing the wrestling star and seeing that wrestling star cut a promo. It was the best part of wrestling. And to this day, all the wrestling I've seen and I've seen Lucha Libre and I've been live and I've been to all kinds of different things. I've been very blessed as far as that goes with the way the technology is to see things through technology and to be there live and to be in all kinds of places. But still to this day, my favorite part of wrestling is the wrestling that I watched when I got hooked into it in the late 70s in the Mid-Atlantic area and Jim Crocker Promotions. And it was the local promos between Ric Flair and Roddy Piper, where one was a good guy, one was a bad guy, and they would cut promos. The, the good guys would put their, cut their promos about the local arena show in the first 15 minutes. Actually, the heels would in the first 15 minutes. And then the good guys would get the last word in the last 15 minutes of the show. And then they would also show promos during this. And those promos were the most entertaining part. And they were the, the part that made me want to go to wrestle. And while the wrestling in the ring right now is well above what I grew with, I grew up with great wrestling in ring. Wrestling is at this really high level. The promo ability is not. And the ability to make you want to see two guys fight and make you want to want to see your favorite kick that guy's ass or make you want to see that guy get his ass kicked. He was a favorite that you never missed, but you hated him. That ability is not there with, with wrestlers today. And I think that the studio show that uh, brings us into what Bill Corgan and Dave Lagan are doing is a unique opportunity to have a different look, but also what's going to drive it is the promos more than the wrestling. And I, and I hope they realize it. And I hope they know that that person that comes out, I don't want to miss because there's no telling what he's going to say. 
I don't want to miss that. And, you know, that kind of Stone Cold Steve Austin element, that Roddy Piper element. Yeah, um, that's actually was going to be one of my questions that I got to with you, Bruce, I wanted to talk about was just the balance of that promo versus the wrestling skill because we we have gotten into this area where like uh work rate or whatever is the important part in wrestling but you could definitely tell i was able to go to both nights of the studio tapings for the nwa and and you could tell that their emphasis is going to be more on i i didn't see any five-star matches at that show but it was it was a whole different experience for me because yeah there was a lot of these guys have an issue. They're arguing. They're fighting. This guy's cutting a promo on this guy. All right, let's build up to a match. It was interesting, and you could tell that that's what Billy and, and David Lagana are looking for. They're very much like, if you can talk people into the room, then that's who we want. And so what what do you think that balance is? Do, do you think um, that it's... I think that we're in an age now where you have to be able to wrestle at a high at a high level to even be accepted. As, as part of the wrestling show, the muscle head who couldn't do very much, who stunk out in the ring, but um, had that it factor, those opportunities are very limited now. But what has always drawn more money, we're in a, you know, we're in this, this really unique time where there's a lot where content providers want content, but wrestling is not in any kind of boom period. It's in, it's in a stale um, period as far as drawing fans to pay money to watch shows or drawing fans to, to arenas to pay money to watch shows or on pay-per-view or to streaming services. But the ability to stand and own a ring and own the, the place that you're in where people have to look at you, that it factor of stardom, and then the ability to talk about what situation you're in and add details in your talking that that boosts that imagination and put people into this world of this fight that not only is this going to be a great fight but there's a consequence to this fight if i win this fight i get this championship that's going to change my life that whatever it is the story that they're telling that was more valuable in in the entire history of wrestling that is more valuable than the ability to work that match in the ring and my thing is, it's not one or the other, it's both. I'm a wrestling fan because when I was in high school, and I'm well past my high school years, but when I was in high school, I was told by my friends, wrestling was always around, I was told by friends of mine, you need to watch this blonde-haired guy. And I did. And that blonde-haired guy was Ric Flair. And Ric Flair cut the best promos. And that's what I loved the most. But when I started going to the arena, he also came through in the ring. So so he had the ability to put this world into my mind with his promos of what it was going to be like to see that fight. And then he could, he could outdo that, what my um, imagination was. And I was spoiled by that. That's not how it always is. But if you can get, but I also saw Blackjack Mulligan and Blackjack Mulligan, six foot 10 could cut these promos that would get you to like, you want to see this fight, this John Wayne, like character and then you would go and see the fight and it was his ability to work in the ring wasn't all that great his sons and his grandsons have done you know did well but it was enough it, your imagination was peaked enough where if they added blood if they had him in the right um situation then the excitement level was there still and or had him with an opponent that could wrestle better and could and could make him look better it would work and that's when i first kind of started going to things and so 
the ability to tell the story in the ring with the wrestling and then the ability to set the stage for that story, those things go together. And I'm, I'm really hoping that the NWA, that this approach works. Um, they, need a, they need a platform besides Facebook, and I know they know this. But um, where that is, and I know you saw the set. I saw pictures of the set, and I thought that they have the set down for the people that are my age or people that remember studio wrestling that had an affection for it, where it was like this intimate kind of theater. Um, they've got the right, they've got the right lettering. They've got the right places um, where someone can stand next to a ring and cut a promo and then have a match. And, and they've, they've got that part of the platform down. I was very excited to see that now, but I think that wrestling now needs wrestlers there's devoted to the promo as they are to their in-ring work. If they do that, they're going to make a lot more money than they're ma- than even they're making now. That's really interesting. Uh, Jim Cornette, obviously, he's doing commentary on part of it. And and to to what you're saying, they 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 did interviews next to the ring. They do it over in the little section over there with the uh, David Marquez interviewing someone, or even at some point Jim Cornette would. So it was it was a really cool process to watch happen. Jim Cornette on his. Says you can. Um, I'm going to interrupt you here with his no, Cornette. Think of this: someone as knowledgeable and as talented as Jim Cornette, and you know the the announcers. You you talked about one of them, but the shows were. This is Lance Russell's show, Memphis Television Wrestling. He was there for years, and then because of how he talked about what was going on, he could put into your using words and telling details, he could talk and put into your mind a picture where they didn't have to show you backstage or back in the parking lot where a tower was falling on somebody. They could use words to ignite your imagination and give you the details and didn't cost anywhere near as much. That Gordon Soley in Georgia, Gordon Soley in Florida, they were the predominant um, personality of their show, even though you didn't pay to go see them in the wrestling ring. And you didn't get you didn't pay to see that because of how they told their story and they presented it and told the fans what they should think about what's going on. And they were so convincing about it that it set up that world that the that the wrestlers could play in. And so Cornette is very good at when he does um, commentary at giving the details, giving you more depth to the story where even if you're not, even you don't care about that stuff, it sounds like it's more important. And if you do care about that stuff, it makes even more sense. He's closing off. um, He's cutting off places where it doesn't make sense. And he's giving you more of, of that. And so as David Marquez and as those, as announcers are doing their job, you start to trust them and you, you, you see that as the cast of wrestlers changes, the announcers stay and the announcers would stay. Bob Cottle stayed in the Carolinas for 30 some years. I mean, he was a weatherman at RAL, but he was, and he also worked for um, Senator Jesse Helms, but he was, people were used to seeing him and they trusted him. If he said that this match was important and if he even said, well, I might have to go see this match then that meant something to the vast majority of the viewers because they've been watching him for years do that. And the um, you know, Vince McMahon, the Vince McMahon we know today doing that for his father in the New York market, that was a big thing. So you know, you set up this world that sparks an imagination through studio wrestling. Now, the fact that that fans are trained to think of, you know, think of a production value that's well above studio wrestling 
is going to be, you know, it's going to be something to be overcome if this is going to be. Um, and it was just a natural, you know, it was like they moved out of the TV studios when Vincent Man went national, when technology was, it was going to be national wrestling promotions. And even the national wrestling, the, the TV studio in Atlanta um, at TBS, when Ole Anderson and Jim Barnett ran, ran Georgia Championship Wrestling at 605 to 805 on Saturday nights. That was the Monday Night Raw of its era. That was the show that that was seen all across the country, even though they promoted in a, in the Atlanta area. They started promoting in, in Ohio and some other places. And that was where um, stars like Bruiser Brody or um, Dusty Rhodes, who might be in, you know, Brody might be in Texas or in Japan and, and Rhodes might be in Florida mostly. They wanted to go to Atlanta to be on television, to be seen by a national television audience along with um tommy rich and and mr wrestling number two and and whoever else and and so it's the technology that changed you couldn't just you couldn't just promote for your own geographical area because those fans were seeing stars that were national but we thought our local stars were the national stars. We thought the wrestling was the best wrestling. If you lived in Iowa, you thought the wrestling on your TV studio show in Iowa was the, you had the toughest, baddest, the Harley race could kick anybody's ass. And, and he could, you know, where and you thought that the best wrestling, well, you just happened to live in the area with the best wrestling. But once it went national, the studio shows looked smaller. But now the NWA has the advantage of, of if, they, if they make it that advantage of we're a studio show, we're different. We have a different look. We have we're better because we have better promos. We have better because we have better stars. We have Cornette, who's, you know, very entertaining or very, or very good at doing this and or whatever it is. And that's how they're going to be able to promote. And then they've got to have something to promote. Speaking on Cornette and that sort of thing, one thing I, I appreciated about him is uh, you're, you're kind of talking about the importance of the announcers and that sort of thing. You know, Cornette came out at the beginning of each night and actually talked to the audience. And, uh, and it sounds like what you're saying, you know, the announcers are as big a part as anything. And he would also make it very apparent to the audience there. He would say, you guys are part of this show as much as anybody, too. Your reactions are what counts. If something's good, we want you to be vocal about it. We want you to be loud. And if something's bad, tell us it's bad. Tell us it sucks. We want to hear it. But it's important for you to be as invested into this as we are. And 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 to that point... What I was going to say is that, you know, on his podcast, I heard him talk a little about studio wrestling, and he described it as in a TV arena taping, you're the voyeur peeking in on a show for the people in the audience. And in the studio show, it's for the folks at home, and the audience is peeking in on that. The audience is kind of a background character there for their reaction and that sort of thing. He said in wrestling now where he's worked, a lot of times they don't even want the wrestler to look at the camera, but in the studio, that was the whole point. If the point was to stare at the camera. That's a great point. And I think that is, that's going to look so fresh where um, years ago, the idea of not looking into the camera, like we see now has been done for so many was, was a fresh look, but now it's been done for so many years that it's um, that it's not. And so that part of like, you looked into the camera and 
the wrestler was looking into was looking into the eyes of the person watching on television. There was an audience there to to react to stuff, but they weren't the important thing. I mean, even though you needed them to like react, and if you want to see, I'd say this: if you want to see studio wrestling at its very best, and I bet and Cornette would say this too because he used to show it to to his train to people he trained in wrestling. Look for go on YouTube and look for the big turn of 1980. That's the name of what I'm of the clip I'm talking about, and that is Georgia Championship Wrestling, and it's Dusty Rose and Ole Anderson, and that will show you the crowd, the the little studio audience that's there is really pouring energy into what's happening. They're they're not the most important thing at all, but they're but they're helpful and they're there. And I went to studio wrestling, and I remember David Crockett coming out and. We were put onto this bleacher, and then it was hilarious in the, in the fact of it was like move over, move over a little more. We're gonna fit a few more people on this bleacher. We're fitting. They a little did that here, yeah, a little more, and like you know, just and and they crammed it through. And then David Crockett, who was um, the color commentator, but also you know, and a promoter, but also he came out. And he was like your friend, and he was the um, guy on television that would react to things like they wanted fans to react. He was mad at the heels. He was he was giddy over the baby faces doing something. And then he came out and said, "Okay, this is what happened. You know, Mid Atlantic Championship changed hands." Jim Brunzel lost the Mid-Atlantic Championship to the Iron Sheik. And um, we all, and here's who we're going to have today. We're going to have Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. We're going to have Jimmy Snuka and Ray Stevens, who are the World Tag Team Champions. We're going to have Ric Flair and, and, I don't know, Jimmy Snuka or something. But anyway, Ric Flair was on the show. We're going to take two hours. There's going to be a break between the two. And, um, boy, and we're really upset that this Iron Sheik, this traitor from Iran, has won our title, the Mid-Atlantic Championship. And then went over and, and did this. And in that studio, it was one of, I, I still wish that I, instead of like trying to have a future in life, that I quit high school and just gone to wrestling, TV wrestling studio shows and not gotten an education or anything. Right. So it's been really fun. I mean, it was really fun. And then what I remember, WRAL, it was where they taped their television show that I watched their local news on, um, Charlie Gaddy and, and those guys. And then it had the, the um, Uncle Paul show. When I was a kid, Uncle Paul was this um, blind man who wore a magician's outfit and he ha- he showed cartoons and then in the same studio they would march the kids around at the end of the show my parents took us and the, and the and the neighborhood kids and so I had been on the Uncle Paul show when I was a kid and then this is where they were taping uh, Midland Championship Wrestling and one of the camera operators was Aaron Thompson, who I went to high school with, and I was in college then, and and he was he was like, "What are you doing here? Like, you like this wrestling?" So, and one of my favorite things was was seeing one of the announcers um, motion at a break to one of the referees and talked about going out and going drinking, like he did like the pantomime and he did the um, the drinking thing. So there's a lot of little things that I really loved about going to the show. And then I went with friends of mine who weren't as big wrestling fans as I was, um, including some grownups, and they thought they thought it was a hoot. They were laughing at it. But then they had a match between for the Mid-Atlantic title between Jim Brunzel and the Iron Sheik, and I got the chance to tell both of them this years and years later. But all of a sudden these skeptical people who thought wrestling was fake believed every single thing they saw between Jim Brunzel and, and the iron Sheik, and it, and, and Jim Brunzel stole the iron Sheik's boot that he had loaded up. And, you know, it was like the story of it is ridiculous, but, um, 
but they were such good performers that you went into this mode of how could you not think this was real? And that was that was also part of it. I was lucky enough to see like a real match at a TV studio, and and that was there. But you know, Cornette grew up watching that stuff, and, and that was how he got into wrestling was was um, going to shows and going to the Memphis, you know, going to the Memphis TV tapings and taking people's picture and, and, and WMC studios. And um, it's, it's definitely an important part of that. And if it, it became something, you know, you hope for the NWA and you hope for Corgan and Lagana and the wrestlers, you know, and Aldis that this becomes um, something that's cool in its own right to watch and it's different from everything else that's available and it catches its own following that way. It's funny that, I mean, hearing you tell the stories, it's just, it's really amazing. It makes it feel even more special to me now because a lot of what you're talking about, it seems like they took that into consideration. Uh, David Marquez playing that uh, Jim Crockett role, he was out there and he'd be like, you guys are driving me nuts. We're all friends. Let's scoot in. Let's all get in this area. Everybody push it. Then we had a cop and it was like, it was kind of clear. It was like. We'll kick you out of here. And then the other thing, this policeman was like, if you want to go to the bathroom, you're not going to the bathroom. You're not standing up and, and like pushing your way through all these people crammed together during the taping of a match because they'll show up on television. So make they, sure you've been to the bathroom. I mean, like, they, they would do that exact same thing. That's so funny. I mean, not with a cop, obviously, but <laughs> they would they would tell you like, all right, well, if, if, if somebody's got to go squeeze in, like, let's 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 make this look good. And, and they even had the things like. um Aaron Stevens was there, former uh, Damian Sandow. He would come out in between tapings. We did four shows a night on both nights. So it was a it was a long night, but he would come out and he's you know playing his heel role. But like, I'm going to give you a chance to talk to me, and that we're going to you're going to learn to like me. So and he would just be you know an a hole the whole time. But it was fun. He was he was really good. Bruce, I, I want to make sure I get this in there too. What about the 6:05 time? is relevant like you know that that's a big deal the nwa is putting their show out tuesdays 605 what what can you tell me about that well there's a 605 podcast that's gotten a name for itself that covers the old days of wrestling and um, a lot of this and then 605 wtbs was owned by ted turner and ted turner inherited a independent television station channel 17 from his father in the 70s in Atlanta, and there was VHF, which was the major stations broadcast, the three networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS, which your local area would have a version of. And then there was UHF, UHF, which was kind of the, the FM, of FM and AM of, of television, which was newer and shadier. And the television stations, those television stations usually didn't have a network affiliation. They had to buy their own programming and they had cheaper programming and they had this stuff. And so um, Turner had one of those stations and then he had the opportunity to go up on this new technology, satellite net technology, and cable television was just starting to come across the country, the technology and coming into areas. And, you know, as a teenager grew up in the 70s, it didn't come to Durham, to my area, um, all that. It came during the mid seventies. My parents didn't get onto it till I was in college. They're too cheap. But you know, you watch, You know, it was coming across, and so he was able to be. He was able to take WTBS and put it 
as a su- and, and say this is a superstation because it's seen every all over the country, all the way to Hawaii. And then as cable technology grew and more people got cable, they saw WTBS, and he was able to um, make money on his television stations by broadcasting the Atlanta Braves baseball games and most of them and then uh, as the station was being seen you know or in wyoming or vermont or north carolina or somewhere the braves started picking up fans who were watching uh, well away from atlanta um who were watching those baseball games because you could watch them every night and maybe your favorite baseball team wasn't didn't have a television package but you could watch it on your cable you could watch the braves on your cable or maybe there wasn't there's a lot of places in the country that didn't have Major League Baseball, and so you could adopt that team as your team. And the same thing with wrestling. There had been a major wrestling promotion in Atlanta that the owner had died. It was part of the NWA, and the owner died. He was the number one star, too, um, unexpectedly, and his wife took over the promotion, and the promoters didn't want um, a female promoter, and they wanted their own th- – the NWA promoters wanted their own person to run it, and um, there was a wrestling war. And so Ted Turner had put on a, a highly rated wrestling show at 6 o'clock on Saturday nights for years, and and now there were two promotions that wanted uh, – Ann Gunkel, Nick Gunkel had, was the promoter who died, and there were two promotions that were at war with each other – trying to take over the Atlanta, the Georgia wrestling area. And it was a lot of money. And, you know, they were used to making a lot of money because the fans would come and they established everything. And so they had at six o'clock, one of the promotions ran a live show. And then they turned around at seven o'clock and the competing promotion ran a live show in the same studio at WTBS. And, and so Turner was looking, Turner was liked wrestling and he liked the Braves because it because it kept him in business. It, it people watched wrestling, people watched baseball and it gave him ratings and so he didn't have that stigma of oh this is just fake crap, violent crap that no one should be watching and it won't you know we wouldn't cover it on the sports page much less that he he saw these larger than life characters and he was a larger than life character too that liked women and they liked women and and lived this party lifestyle and he lived this party lifestyle and um was and had money and so he appreciated that and he would come around and hang out with the wrestlers and and they trade girlfriends and all that kind of stuff and 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 so he was looking for a gimmick for WTBS and so he decided that why did he have to start his um, shows on the hour like every other television station did all the time? You never you started on the hour, the half hour, no matter what. And then you um, went off the air at 1130 or midnight or whatever the time was. You Every time he decided he was going to, you know, TBS Turner Broadcasting um, System. And he was going to go by Turner time. Because he was an egomaniac too, and, you know, and knew the the value of branding, and so he was going to go on turn time, and it was going to be five minutes after the hour, and so his shows would t- start five minutes late, but they would also go over five minutes, and so if you were into the show, um, it gave some of his shows a chance to have a um, ratings advantage of of five minutes on that overrun. And it was just something unique. And so 605, the Superstation, 605, the Superstation, Georgia Championship Wrestling. And then Georgia Championship Wrestling, under um, the management of Barnett and Ole Anderson, changed their name to World Championship Wrestling because Jim Barnett had run run the top 
promotion in the world in Australia in the 1970s and called it World Championship Wrestling. And they knew that their day was going to come. You could see that there was going to be someone that had a um, cable clearance like this, like World Championship Wrestling, that was going to run wrestling across the country and break the NWA and break this mafia of associated promotions and have and you know make more money that way and everybody would see the same wrestling and it was Vince McMahon who got to who who did a better job of doing that than anybody else who tried and um and, and that's why you know that's why now there's a um because of the technology there's the top wrestlers in Greenville are the same as the top wrestlers in Greensboro and they're the same as the top wrestlers in in the state of Washington because we all see the same thing and that's that's where the you know that's where the but 605 was a gimmick of Ted Turner's across this whole network and then people remembered I got to watch you know you say what time are you going to watch Georgia wrestling I'm going to watch or World Championship wrestling I'm going to watch at 605 and then Black Saturday came, and this man was able to take over the Georgia promotion and run a show on that station. And people didn't like that. They wanted their Gordon Soley wrestling. It was Gordon Soley was the host. They wanted their Gordon Soley wrestling, and it didn't hold up in, in the ratings. Um, and there was arguments between Turner and McMahon um, about the content. And then um, for a million dollars, the Crockett's bought that the ability to run wrestling from 605 to 805. And um, that became part of the major wrestling war. And people will remember that 605 time. So I think it's a smart gimmick. It doesn't cost anything. And it um, differentiates the NWA show on Facebook from anything else. And it also is a callback to the studios because the studios, you know, the, the wrestling in Georgia was run and world championship wrestling was run in a in Atlanta television studio you put flags on the on the walls and they did that in, in WRAL too and, and and a lot of places you put flags on the walls and try to fancy it up a little bit and um it's a smaller room and and that's um wrestling and the most and the 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 wrestling show that was watched the studio wrestling show that ended up with the biggest audience because of cable television because of of superstation TBS was that show that started at 605 on Saturday night so it's a good callback and some of the stuff you're saying, it, it, it harkens back to the other day, me seeing some of these things. I think you're going to be very happy with the way this thing looks. I mean, I myself I'm can't wait to I see it. I have my nostalgia for this stuff, and I very much appreciate the WWE Network that shows studio shows from the past that they bought the libraries of. And, and I've definitely have spent the last 30 years being a tape trader and a, and a, you know, and what they call a tape trader and looking for these things. And, and I'm a big fan of CWF Mid Atlantic, which also for the last 17 years has run their shows in kind of this kind of studio. And I, you know, I'm, um, I love the big arena and the big feel and the bit and the big fight more than anything, but I also, um, enjoy the studio thing. So I, I, as far as rooting for something to work, I'd love to see this work as far as, um, knowing whether it will, I have no idea. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually hoping that, that down the road as this thing starts airing, uh, maybe you'll uh, let me talk to you again and, and get your opinion on how that's going. But that I, I have so many questions, but you have 
other no, things ahead, to do. Go but... I'm okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. I can be a little well, late. Well, no, no. I mean, I, I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to couple put a, a few together here and just ask you this because I I okay. think you briefly kind of answered this, but obviously there's the law of supply and demand. I asked Audis the same thing when he was on the show. There we are entering an era where there is about to be a ton of supply. Now, one thing I love that I hitched my wagon with what Corgan and Lagana are doing is I I love this class. Look, I love the idea of the studio wrestling. I love the classic looking titles, especially the 10 pounds of gold that seems they've done a great job of making it feel like, hey, this is a title that a lot of other titles have spawned from. This is the belt that Flair had, that Race had, that, you know, Funk and everybody, you know, this is this is a big deal. What's your opinion on this standing out from everything else? And and I, I know that when WCW left, there was a whole bunch of fans that just disappeared and maybe they were looking for that classic thing. Do you think this has a chance of pulling some of these people back? What I think um, has a chance of getting an audience that we haven't had in a while, but there's a still a hunger for, and I think it's shown by there's um, a different audience for the stars of AEW than there is for for WWE. And we haven't had that before. In the history of wrestling, it's always been about the major league promotion, whether the major league in your area was Jim Crockett Promotions or the major league was WWE. Like whatever was presented to you as the major league is what you watched if you were a wrestling fan. And now we have people that are not watching the major league, you know, the, the um, industry um, monolith, they're, they want something else. And one of the things they want is instead of this um, kind of meta commentary on wrestling and instead of these issues of I should be the number one star of your promotion because I'm better cast in the role of the number one star of the promotion, you know, and whatever, and all these things that we see that aren't wrestling and they don't make sense, but they're part of someone's um psychosis in and wwe um either just having a wrestling promotion where the wrestlers are the stars and and not the general managers or not the authority figures the wrestlers are the stars and that they are um they are fighting for something valuable they're fighting for a title and they're also fighting to prove that they're better than somebody else by beating them and that they're um, getting a satisfaction from beating them, and maybe a personal satisfaction. That type of that type of story hasn't been told um, across the national scene in in many years. You can talk about um, New Japan is, is telling that type of story, but AEW is start. When you watch AEW, you have this feeling of relief that it's like, okay, there's I do at least that you know what counts as Chris Jericho or what counts as Kenny Omega or something. And so um, there's still a hunger, there's still a market for that, even as there's not there's been fans driven away by this other kind of meta way of of promoting wrestling where wrestling's not the the core of wrestling is not worth anybody. I hate being in the business or I loathe this business. And they don't say it, but they kind of, and they cut promos on fans about how fans all smell and the fans all um, are dumb or they're all this or they're all that, or they're not cool or they're not, they can't get, they're all virgins and all that kind of stuff. And so what I'm trying to say is that the promotions that there's going to be a falling out, there's way too much. There's, I think there's way too much content for the demand, but I think there's not, 
the ones that establish themselves as I want to see, for example, I want to see Nick all to stand there with that with that belt in front of him and talk about how important it is. Or I want to see the number one star of the NWA talk his trash. I want to watch that. That's my appointment television. I want to see him because he's fun and he's cool and he's and and I can trust him to get done what what I want him to get done. That tell a story that you can sit and watch. And if you've got common sense, you can understand most of it. I, I'm very much that WWE has gotten themselves into for some reason into these shows that newer fans couldn't watch because they didn't know that 20 years ago Bret Hart got betrayed by Vince McMahon in the Montreal Screw Job. You know, how would they know that? And the fans that the fans that do know all that stuff can barely make sense of it now. So it, so the shows that show a wrestling show and have let's watch him fight him and have some star power to them and some promo ability, um, they're gonna they're gonna have a chance. And and then Lagana and and Corgan using the studio is going to have something that looks unique compared to every other wrestling show. And, and part of the um, technology is going to be to find that platform that can pay. WWE has found platforms that pay enormous amount of monies. And the wrestling companies that can find those platforms and, and convince those platforms that there's money in paying them and selling this content is um it's there so this is a whole new world and i don't know what how it turns out i can see the next wrestling boom but i can also see um it falling apart very quickly and um for someone in my job which is to write about it analyze it and 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 follow it and learn its history it's very exciting you know but boy there's a lot at stake and you know it's a high wire act right now it's funny to hear you call it that. Yeah. I mean, I I think one thing that the NWA has, and I saw this in, in the studio, there were a lot of people coming in saying they had not watched in a little while. And I they just more of those people than I, I ever have. And like, I, you know, I've been doing working for the torch for 30 years. And so I always have tried to like talk to people about, you know, are they wrestling fans and how, why? And do they, quit or whatever it is and i've had more and more people tell me that people i would never would have expected that always watch major league wrestling that like i haven't watched this i don't I haven't watched it but i love wrestling you know yeah so all right so bruce i'm not going to hold you up anymore but if you would just for folks listening um I, you mentioned the big turn of 1980 with Dusty Rhodes and Ole Anderson, is there some other stuff that, you know, between now and the premiere of this first show that you could recommend that people check out if they're interested in what studio wrestling is all about? Go on the WWE Network and watch the Crockett Studio Wrestling 1980, 1982. Um, and feel free to use your fast forward and watch people that watch the interviews and you can watch the angles too, but watching the interviews um, up until, and some of it is small arena stuff, but um, you can watch the um, studio shows that are, that were done in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you can see kind of that format. And then if you're watching interviews from Roddy Piper, Ric Flair, the mass superstar, Blackjack Mulligan, um, Ray Stevens, Let's see. Let me, I know I'm missing people too. Sergeant Slaughter. I can't. I can't recommend interviews more than with, with Slaughter. You can kind of cherry pick that. If you go to um, the Mid South part, find um, I think it's eighty. 
82, 81, somewhere in that. And Magnum TA and Mr. Wrestling 2 really tells a whole story across using interviews uh, of a feud um, that shows what promos can do. Um, anything with Dusty Rhodes in Georgia, Dusty Rhodes in Georgia Championship Wrestling. And if you go on YouTube, there is a lot of Georgia Championship Wrestling. You want to watch Georgia Championship Wrestling shows from... 1982, 1983, 1981, 1980. There's a there's a changeover when the talent gets a little worse. But um, and just and watching the the promo of the people that are on that and and Dusty Rhodes is a um. If you haven't seen that, if you've seen Polka Dot Dusty Rhodes, if you saw Rhodes and Crockett, he was at that top level. But watching that and uh, you know looking at um. Florida Championship Wrestling, just using um, Google to find find that. And don't be afraid to fast-forward through matches. And then I would also just say the, the cream of the crop to me is Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee and Jimmy Hart and Lance Russell and Dave Brown in Memphis. In, in Memphis. And that, because of um, copyright issues, that is all over YouTube. And you can find great, you can find great stuff all the time with that era of from the late seventies to the early eighties of, I think it holds up into 2019 of, of promos and stories told on the air. So that's what I would, um, that's a a great, a great majority of that is NWA, but a great majority of that, but it's all studio wrestling was everywhere. Oh, and I I can't recommend anything more than Bobby Heenan and Nick Bockwinkle and AWA promos. Bruce Mitchell, you have been generous with your time, and I appreciate you very much. Do you want to tell the folks at home how they can follow you on the Twitter and everything? Yeah, you can tell I hated talking about this, can't you? <laughs> hey, man, I, I, I could talk to you about it all night. I'm super excited about this, and, and, and yeah. uh, I'm hoping I get to talk to you again like down the road so you can uh, actually yeah. see what they put out. And It was like I just finished talking about SmackDown, and it was like, that's a big, huge show. And it's like, yeah, now what comes next? It's like, that's the answer. That's the question, and it's the question for um, – I'll be like that on Tuesday night watching um, this. But yeah, go to go to pwtorch.com slash go VIP. Um, I do shows like this three times a week. The Bruce Mitchell Audio Show is the longest running weekly audio show of any type. As you said, there must be one other thing, but definitely of wrestling because the word podcast wasn't invented 15 years ago when we started doing these. Also, there's we do roundtables after major wrestling shows. I do a lot of history like this too. Um, Wade Keller and the Wade Keller, um, Wade Keller shows that are available. Um, not only that are free available, um, on your, on your things. And then nine ninety nine a month to go over the paywall I, to, to hear everything. We've got a library. We, we do 70 some shows a, a month. Um, and then, a newsletter with, and, and the newsletter has been around for 30 years and you can go back to the library, the library of it. That's all there. If, um, and, and follow me on at 
Mitchell PW Torch. Um, I'm, I'm active on Twitter and um, enjoy that back and forth. And, very, and, very active. And if you need John Cena's tweets translated at any point, he's very <laughs> good at that. I, I, you know, this is the perfect thing. It's the big wrestler. It's the big famous wrestler, and it's self help stuff. And like, just in my life, even the, I mean, I'm a school teacher, but I'm like not the biggest self help fan. So I'm, I just. I just have enjoyed doing that. My having fun with his little self-help squibs, and 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 I do that for me as much as anything. <laughs> just like have so, and and people have like laughed at it and taken it in, in you know, in the spirit that it's there. So, um, yeah, it, it, I'm a good, I, I'm a good um, rejoinder, I guess. It's like I'm, I'm good at coming back or something. So Twitter swans for me. Yeah. That along with the, uh, Bruce Mitchell audio show are two of my favorite parts of the week. So I can't recommend them enough. So yeah. At Mitchell PW torch. Appreciate that. Yes. All right. So Bruce, I will uh, let you go. You are attending a wrestling show, so I will let you get to that. Thank you so, so much. In a studio is we're saying that, you know, these guys, the NWA wasn't the first to come back to this. Um, CWF Mid Atlantic has had their version of these type of shows for 17 years. So, um, and if you uh, watch NXT, and I suggest that you do, um, Trevor Lee, um, Cameron Grimes came out of there, and Cameron Grimes is, is, is a wrestler to keep your eye on. Okay, perfect. Bruce Mitchell, thank you so much for your time, sir. Thank you, Gary. Oh!